Welcome to Truth Matters Church, a ministry dedicated to the expository study of God's Word. In today's message, we begin our study of Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea, found in Revelation chapter 3. Here, Jesus says that He is the beginning of the creation of God. So we'll explore what He meant with this mysterious statement and unpack it using Scripture. We encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Here is Pastor Alex. And the title is The Beginning of the Creation of God. So let's pick it up in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the reading of uh, this small letter. I think we're going to find, as we find on the other letters, it is action-packed. But what we'll do is we will look at just verse 14 for the rest of our study today. Let's look at that one more time. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I'm going to say this for the final time. But when he says, to the angel or to the agalos, I'm arguing before us, that is, to the angel, not to an earthly messenger over this church. I've argued time and time again, and as we're going through this study, nothing has has caused me to change that approach. There are angels in the unseen world. And when it came to this first century and these seven churches in the first century, there was an angel assigned over every church. And when our Lord opens up this letter, and this makes it unique, he first talks to the angel over that church. Now this is a dual letter, so it is to the angel and to the believers and the recipients of this letter. So just keep that in mind as we've studied these seven letters. So he addresses that angel first, and then the rest, and he says, he is the amen. He also says he is the faithful and true witness. And he also says he is the beginning of the creation of God. So let's look at these titles and designations of our Lord. He's the Amen. Amen in English is Amin in Greek. Spelled the same, just pronounced differently. You know when you say Amen, after our prayer, we'll say Amen. Or if someone says something and we say Amen, Amen means Certainly, truly, indeed, 
it is true. When we say amen to something, we're saying, amen, brother or sister, that is true. When Jesus is applying the amen to himself, he's saying he is true. It could be rendered the truth. When Jesus calls himself the amen, he's saying he is the truth. And we know this, right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It can also be said that when our Lord calls himself the Amin, he is declaring that he is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Jesus is the truth. He speaks truth. He can be, and what he says is true, regardless of what we think, or if we choose to agree or disagree. He is the Amin. He is the truth. And a little side note here, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, capture, you know, continues to captivate me to this very day. It's been almost 20 years now where I just wanted to know the truth. And God used that curiosity and that, and that hunger for truth and led me to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Here we are 20 years later. I still want to know the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. We're studying the book of Revelation because I want to know the truth of how everything is going to end. I'm that curious, yes. And yes, it's important to me, yes. It might not be important to everyone else, I get it. But for me, I want to know the truth of not only who God is, who I am, who we are in light of his creation, but I also want to know the truth of how it began and how it's going to end. And Jesus is the Amen, and he's the truth. And because of that, that's how we got our, our ministry name, Truth Matters Church. Because what really matters is us knowing the truth so that we can be rightly informed of who we are and our condition, and that'll lead us to the Savior. Because if we don't know the truth of who we are in our natural selves, then how can anyone be saved? If we don't see our sin, and we don't see our spiritual condition, and we are not confronted with the truth of our condition, how then are we going to recognize the need for a Savior? We need to know the truth. And that's what even the name of this ministry is endeavoring to do. No, really. You know, people say, oh, truth matters, church. You're dogmatic. Because you said truth. Well, what's synonymous with truth is the amen. And Jesus says he is the amen. He is the truth. We can very well call this ministry Jesus Matters Church. Yes, Jesus matters. He matters so much because our Father in heaven says it matters. He is the amen, the truth. One of our other Lord's designations and titles, he is the faithful and true witness. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we've covered this in our The Faithful Witness study. So if you want to get reacquainted with that, we we covered that back in chapter 1, verse 5, so in the beginning of this year. And it's fairly self-explanatory. But I will just touch on it briefly. When Jesus calls himself, he is the faithful and true witness. Faithful is pistos. It means he's reliable. He not only is the amen, he is the truth but he is reliable. 
And witness, as we learned previously, is martus, or where we get our English word martyr. And it means to bear witness. So Jesus, he is the faithful and reliable one. He is the faithful and reliable witness, martus. And Bob, you mentioned in our judicial system, you know, when someone takes the stand, you have to put your right hand and say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, or nothing but the truth. Even in our judicial system, as we know here in the West, when someone gives testimony, your testimony is only as good as your reputation. And I think some of us, we, we, we've probably seen some you know, criminal case proceedings where there's a jailhouse snitch that is bearing witness of the defendant and saying, oh, the defendant told me X, Y, and Z that he did the alleged crime. So it takes the stand and gets some sort of plea deal for in, in exchange for his testimony. And what does the defense do when they cross-examine that witness? You can't trust this person. This person's a convicted felon. This person made a, struck a deal with the district, uh, you know, with the district attorney in exchange for their testimony, that'll help prove their case or help support their case. So you, your witness or your testimony is only as good as your reputation. Well, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he's saying he's the faithful and true martus, what he has to say, remember, he is the truth, the amen. He is the faithful, the reliable one, and he is one whose reputation speaks for himself. And Jesus says, which, you know, when he was here during his earthly ministry, even though he had his enemies, who among you can convict me of wrongdoing? That's pretty confident, right? And it's, which is true because our Lord, when he walked this earth before his crucifixion, no one can accuse him of sin. You can, you can falsely accuse him, which was the case in his life, but in terms of really validity, no, because he was the faithful and true witness. When our Lord says the faithful and true witness, what I want us to get is this. No one who is from heaven ever came down to tell us about heaven except Jesus, the Son of God. Now, there are prophets that saw a vision into heaven, but they're not from heaven. They were allowed, moved by the Holy Spirit, to see into the, unworld, the unseen world, into heaven itself, and recorded in some cases, what they saw. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is one who came from heaven, came down, and to tell us about his Father who is in heaven. So when he's saying he's the faithful and true martus, he is saying that he's bearing witness of what he has seen, heard, and experienced in heaven. And these very words are the very testimony of the glorified Son of Man. Our Lord Jesus when he came and what he modeled in his life, he is showing us the Father. And what I mean by that, he is letting us know who the Father is through his life and through his works. He is bearing witness to his relationship with his Father, and he has come down on earth during his earthly ministry, demonstrated that. And now here when we get to the book of Revelation, by this time he is the glorified Son of Man, and just like he bore witness in his earthly testimony, I mean, his, er, his earthly ministry, he is bearing witness of what is transpiring in heaven, and he's revealing it in his word. And now to the third 
and final designation and title that our Lord called himself in the beginning of this letter. He calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. Beginning is archi, and it means origin. Now, when you study this Greek word, archi, you know, it's one thing to say the origin of something, but it has this sense of power. It has this idea of power. So not only Archie doesn't mean the beginning or the origins, but it has the idea of power. And the construction of this sentence, it doesn't mean, because we can read this in the English or how it's, tried, how it's translated in English, the beginning of the creation of God. Some loose reading can say, see, Jesus was created. He was the first creation of God. He's not God. He is the first creation of God. That's not what the construction of this sentence means or to be understood. It is to be understood that Jesus is the origin and beginning and author of God's creation. And John, in the opening of his gospel, captures what our Lord is communicating when he calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. And I think we all know this by heart by now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And as we've gotten into the habit of doing, let's insert the, per- the persons of the Trinity in this passage. In the beginning was the word Jesus, and the word Jesus was with God, the Father. And the word Jesus was God, the Son. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God the Father. All things came into being through Jesus, and apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Does that make it a little more clear? So there are truths in this passage alone. Jesus eternally existed with God the Father in the very beginning. And at the beginning of the creation, the Father and the Son was together. Look, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So at the beginning of creation, the Father and the Son were together. And there are more truths from the opening of this gospel. So God the Son eternally existed with God the Father before creation. The Word was with God before anything was created. All things came into being through the eternal Word spoken through God the Son. Now here's, I'm going to start, I'm going to ask us some questions and I'm going to give us some brownie points here. Who was working through the Word, the Son of God? And I give a hint here. He was the same God who was in Christ during his entire earthly ministry. Yeah, who was in Jesus? God the Father. This is what our Lord said with his very lips. John 14, he goes, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works, the Father's works. Someone asked this question, who's the creator? <laughs> who's the creator? But you see how I'm stimulating our thinking, right? And the word of God should do that for us. And just as there's a lot of confusion of who God is, there's a lot of cre- confusion of who the creator is. 
And I made this, these comments in our last study, but I, but I made the comment that there is a tendency or there, you know, in the church to oversimplify the Godhead. And like, for example, you know, how many of us have just heard you know, Jesus is God? Because that's what we accept in the Christian faith. And what I think, because of that tendency to oversimplify the Godhead, I think that oversimplification, it skewed our view of the Trinity. And I would say even unintentionally robbed the Father of glory during Christ's earthly ministry. What I'm saying is this. When we say Jesus is God, well, what about the Father? Well, you know, Jesus is God, God on earth. Well, the Father was in Christ. So I think there's this tendency to oversimplify the Godhead. And I made the argument of saying, well, instead of oversimplifying it and saying, like, Jesus is God, it's more appropriate and balanced to say that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who eternally existed with God the Father when He came to earth and He was fully divine, the fully the Son of God, and His Father was in Him the entire time during His earthly ministry. See? It's a little more complicated than that. So that said, okay, I'm going to answer us the question. Let the Scripture tell us who the Creator is. Let's go to Colossians. We went to Colossians in our introductions. Paul spoke concerning Christ here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you guys know the drill. Let's insert the persons of the Trinity even in this passage. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created, both in heavens, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. So Jesus is the creator. The Amen. Right? Guys, Jesus is the creator. Say amen. 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 I, say, I say amen. He is the creator. Is he the sole creator? Mm. Here's a hint. Just as Jesus didn't operate alone during his earthly ministry. You know when our Lord walked this earth? Did he ever operate alone? Who was abiding in him? And whose works was manifested? The Father. What were the words that he was saying? He goes, I, I do nothing of my own initiative, but he is pretty much communicating the words of his Father. So just as Jesus didn't operate alone during his earthly ministry, and there was another party involved, does anyone want to take a guess who was involved in creation? God the Father. It's in this passage. Because this passage, we saw clearly that Jesus is the Creator. But where is that in this passage? And I'll highlight it for us. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Through Jesus. It was created through Jesus and for Jesus. God the Father initiated creation through Christ, the Word of God, who became flesh. And all of creation is for Christ. Now, why did God create everything in any, right now? Why did he create the angelic hosts? Why did he create the world, the sun, moon, stars, this galaxy? Why was all this created in the first place? God the Father created through his Son 
for his son. That his son, we have a big happy family. It doesn't end there. What happens at the end? Okay, you know when you say the world's your oyster? We say that, oh, the world's your oyster. How about the father saying to the son, son, the creation's your oyster. What does the son do when he gets the oyster? And he subdues his enemies, his father's enemies, when he judges the angelic rebellion, including the angel, fallen angels who rebelled. What does our Lord do when he subdues his enemy, he judges the angels, he throws Satan and the fallen angels into the lake of fire, he judges sin, those who rebel against his word and his father and himself. What does he do when he gets everything done? And he subdues all his enemies. What does the scripture tell us that our Lord does? He presents it back to the Father. So the creation was for the Son and for the Father. It's this love relationship. So, look, I'm getting technical here. Who's the creator? God the Father, God the Son. God the Father created through God the Son. God the Son spoke the Father's will into existence. You know what the Father said? Son, I want you to create it. For here's my plan for you and for those who you will redeem. And our Lord spoke. The, the Son spoke the Father's will into existence. God the Son, the Word of God, who was with the Father, became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Father was in Christ during his earthly ministry, and God the Father was in Christ when God spoke the world into existence. So both the Father and the Son are the Creator. Mm -hmm. There's a plurality. We, us. The Father doesn't operate alone. He, He operates through His Son. The Son doesn't operate alone. His Father is always in Him. And they're in perfect unity and harmony all the time but that was disrupted for a moment in time. I can't explain how. When he was abandoned on that cross for us. I don't know. But he tasted that separation from his father. Imagine that's why he was in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that was the pathway to his glory and to offer ultimately the creation that was for him back to his father. So back to our key verse, and we're going to wrap up. So when our Lord says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. So our Lord is declaring to the angel over this church and those in it that he is the Amen, he is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He is not only the Amen and the truth, but he is also the faithful and reliable witness. As the one who has a first eyewitness account of the things which he has seen and heard and is declaring to them. He is the origin and the beginning and author of God's creation. He is co-creator with his Father who initiated all things through the living word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. It is this very Jesus who examined the seven churches including the church in Laodicea, and he has rendered his verdict. And unlike the previous letter, when we studied Philadelphia, Philadelphia had no condemnation. They only had commendation. Philadelphia and Smyrna were the only two churches of these seven churches where our Lord, after assessing them, had no condemnation, only commendation and exhortation to continue. But Laodicea 
was the opposite of Philadelphia and opposite of Smyrna. Laodicea had no commendation. Our Lord didn't have anything positive to say. The only positive thing he says is that for those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. But as far as their works and their deeds and their condition, he had nothing to say. Only condemnation. And as we continue in our look into the last letter to these seven churches, we're going to learn what our Lord has to say. And he had a lot to say. And we're going to look more at that next week. Amen. We hope you were blessed and challenged by this message from Truth Matters Church. Be sure to join us next time as we continue our deep dive study in Revelation with more from the letter to the church in Laodicea. And if you enjoyed this message, please consider joining us in person or online for our Friday night Bible studies. Our small group expository study is intimate and always followed by a Q&A session. You can find out more at truthmatterschurch.org. That's truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.